So, we're back for uh, episode six of the Duke Basketball Junkies. I'm your host, Michael Eckstep. My co-host is here with me tonight again. He won't stop coming back. Peter Rowe. How you doing, Pete? Hello. I'm going to do most of the talking, as usual, but I'm going to try to let Pete get a word in edgewise this week. Um, so, it's uh, December 18th. The game against UNLV was December 10th. Over a week ago. Uh, over a week ago, my parents came into town the very same night. and uh, You still remember the game? I barely remember. No, I remember the game because we were there. Did you watch the game on TV? I watched some of the game afterwards, yeah. The next day with my dad, who had, wasn't able to see the game. But he got bored after we were up by a I certain can, I amount. Can, I can see a casual fan being totally bored by the game. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, it was fun to watch. Fun to watch is build a big lead. Fun to watch for Duke fans. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wish the game had been more competitive. Um, for the one game we get to watch in Vegas. Right. Out of all the years I've lived here. Uh, wish UNLV wasn't just in a shambles as in terms of their program. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, on one hand, you sort, of, you, you sort of feel embarrassed again that Coach K would schedule UNLV, but... Um, in his defense, I think the program was uh, sort of gutted a year ago when UNLV let Dave Rice go. A bunch of the players transferred, so when Marvin Menzies came in, uh, Menzies actually has a pretty good record. He he ran New Mexico State. I can't don't remember if you remember. He had a bunch of teams go to the NCAA. Yeah, uh, they're always a double digit seed with like upset yeah. potential. Right. Uh, yeah, when he came in, like basically everyone transferred. He only had maybe three or four guys return. And then he had to get like JUCO guys, and then you know recruit guys sort yeah. of on the fly. So and it sort of looks like that on yeah, the court. This sort of uh, outcome I, on the game was totally not surprising. Yeah, we were big favorites. Uh, Steve Zimmerman left, I think, after last year as a freshman. Uh, you know, he was their only kind of blue chipper that they had on the team. Uh, so yeah, he uh, transferred. No, he went to the NBA. I think he was a second round pick. Okay. Um, he was uh, he grew up in Las Vegas area, I believe. So, um, an attorney I almost used this year. His dad was uh, was his AAU coach in like eighth eighth grade, and you know name dropped him during our uh, our interview whether we were going to use him for something. Hmm. So that's that's how I know Stephen Zimmerman. I'm always going to remember him as this uh, this attorney who's name dropped him for no no reason really. Uh, all right, so the game itself, pretty straightforward. We just crushed them. Uh, Grayson Allen, nothing to worry about. Apparently not. Uh, he had spring in his step. He threw down a couple, that one sick jam. Yeah, he actually had two sick jams, but yeah. one got way more replays. Yeah, the one where he, uh, Fall, he like belly, belly flopped afterwards. Yeah, that one was the <laughs> one that was shown over and over. Yeah. Where he came... Then the follow-up was a pretty big big deal, too. Huh? Yeah, and Frank, Frank Jackson had a similar sort of follow-up miss dunk. There was a lot of highlights. We got to see... We even got to see DeLaurier. We got to see Frank... Frank White? What's his name? Jack White. Jack White. For a minute. <laughs> Four minutes, and uh, it was a fun game. I mean, it was just a highlight reel. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grayson definitely sort of took the lead. Um it was efficient shooting, like efficient scoring. It's not like he chucked up a ton of shots, you know, Russell Westbrook style. 
I mean, he, he did, but he made them. Um, I, I wonder if you could maybe sense, like, when he gets hot like that, do you think that the team defers to him? You know, like, not quite to the extent that they did to J.J. Redick his senior year, but do you feel like if you're, like, Frank Jackson or Matt Jones, are you trying to get Grayson out on the ball? Well, I thought what was clear is that they all knew he had been struggling, that it had been a little bit embarrassing for him, that people might be talking about it. And they were super pumped. His teammates were super pumped that he was doing so well. And it was cool to see. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were all slapping him on the back. They, it was like a celebration of Grace and Allen you know, reasserting some level of dominance, scoring 34 in the game. And I think they kept him in there extra. Again, he didn't need to be in there with under 10 minutes left to go in the game, up by 35 40, or 40. 45, yeah. Right, but there he was because I thought I – thought, the team felt like it was important that that he reemerged that way, that he had that. And he hasn't had that the last few games. Struggled against Kansas definitely, as definitely well. has been struggling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like we've talked about, he's been a little injured, and he still passed well and, you know. Contributed in other ways. Like I said, I wasn't worried. You you, you said he was 70% Grayson, 80% Grayson. Yeah. So uh, he went 12 or 16 from the field. I mean, against against – a team that wasn't playing good team defense. So we'll see how he does in the ACC season. Yeah, the and first, he has a little time yeah, to rest. I feel like the first 15 minutes of the game, I mean, UNLV looked so bad. Like, their passes were terrible. Not only terrible, they couldn't but shoot. a lot of times when they were passing, they were passing with their back to their own basket, away from their basket. And when it was intercepted, Duke would have just an easy open court pass break. Um, I did want to mention, um, you know, I'm into like these little body language things. Um, do you remember when Grayson got into a physical altercation with UNLV? Right off the bat. He felt like they maybe roughed him up a little bit when he was on the ground. He flopped. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a pretty big flopper. Um, but when he came back up, J- Chase Jeter tried to settle him down, put his arms around his shoulder... And it was very clear that Grayson was fired up and didn't want in any part of it. And he just like very like forcefully like flung Chase Jeter's arms off of his around his neck. Did you see that? Do you remember that? I don't remember him doing that to Jeter. I remember thinking, what's he worked up about? He was the one who was flopping, pretending yeah. that the guy did something to him when he didn't. But I think he's like uh, you know these really competitive guys are looking for a reason. They'll delude themselves into thinking there's a reason to get fired up. I mean, Jordan used to take any perceived slight as, you know, extremely offensive so he could get fired up. Like, that's a place that, that maybe helps Grayson, you know? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure. Like, it, it's not quite to the level of, like, when a head coach gets super fired up at a ref and he's already gotten the technical and he's already thrown out of the game and then his own assistant coaches or players hold him back. It wasn't obviously quite on that level, but I wonder – you know, if it speaks to Grayson's leadership or his control of the team on, on any level. Like, it was, I don't know. We'll see. How about Chase Jeter getting the, the start? The we, very, were, we, were, we were debating the whether... very, very token token start. Yeah, this is that game that he gets scheduled to the hometown visit game. He was a McDonald's All-American. Chase Jeter was a big recruit. He was top 11 recruit, top 10 recruit. Yeah. And uh, 
little a little too skinny, but still his top ten recruit. So we five we, five star. Yeah, we got burgers with you know some of our friends, some of our Duke friends came out, some of our other friends. We got a lot Eddie. of big time Duke showing, Duke alumni showing. Yeah, big time UNLV showing too. There was a lot of yeah. lot of like loyal UNLV fans that I felt really bad for, including a couple. Right, but I mean that doesn't that doesn't surprise you. You know, like it's it's such a yeah. Quick. And when I bring up the fact that I went to Duke or I'm doing this podcast to anyone, like any Vegas local who's male and over a certain age, I'm surprised how often I've gotten like some amount of blowback. Oh, Duke, like they still feel that even though it's been 25 years since those title games. But beating them in 91-92 still is like a very real thing for, you know, like fans at least in at least yeah. 35 40 years old so gotcha, gotcha. my son's tennis coach uh, at, at tennis works by the way tennis works is the greatest here in vegas <laughs> werx tennisworks.com or tennis works on facebook but james coach james uh like told me he used to be like a ball boy he just all of a sudden out of nowhere i told him i was doing the podcast and we were going to the duke game and it, it created like a great conversational opportunity with someone I had never talked basketball with. So there are a lot of diehard basketball fans here in Vegas who grew up, you know, with UNLV. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how tough that is just because I think obviously we're spoiled because of Coach K, but, you know, UNLV has had its ups and downs. I feel like the last time they tasted any success was when uh, Lon Kruger took him to the Elite Eight, maybe in 2007 or eight. And then they, it's weird, they have these random like <clears throat> lottery picks or number one overall picks, but the program itself, I feel like, has been pretty... Hasn't been the same hasn't since, been very since Tarkanian left, obviously, or was kind of <clears throat> forced to leave by the NCAA. Yeah. I mean, Roland Massimino coached the team for a few years. He was the, you know, the coach of Villanova when they won the championship in 85. I feel like Jay Wright was here then, also, as an assistant. I'd have to look it up, but that's... Very possibly true. Um, and then, you know, Lon Kruger. It became like sort of a, a place older accomplished coaches came for a few years. Uh, but there wasn't any consistency. I mean, they had some great players. Uh, you know, Sean Marion, Isaiah Ryder. Remember that guy? <laughs> I would I mean, say he's a great player. Well, he was, but a, he's he was, just, a, he was he's a great a, talent. A phenomenal great, athlete, yeah. Yeah, great talent. <clears throat> uh, I mean, they've had players. Sean Marion, I could say, Pretty great player. Sean Marion was pretty great. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean they've had a they've had a bunch of guys that have gone to the NBA. Anthony Bennett, not a great player. Mm. Yeah, somehow the Cavs didn't bet him very well. But uh, what, what I think we both observed at the game was that they still have this pride in this tradition, but they they play it. It, it felt like an NBA game to me. The 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 way the way the team came out, the fireworks inside the stadium. And the kind of like intro they had for a team that's that's really like a hot mess right. and has no shot and it just it just didn't seem to fit, you know. Well, that, I mean, but that might and it be, made me feel be, bad. Yeah, but that might be because it was um, the game was played in T-Mobile Arena. I wonder if in Thomas and Mac it would have just been like a sort of a normal game without all the fireworks and. Either way, it feels like. You're, you're in Rome after it's fallen and like the vestiges of the civilization is still there's still the elders looking down they still have some alums you know who who, show, who was at the game uh, 
one of the alums from 91, 92. Anderson Hunt. Anderson Hunt came down, yeah. And it's like they still have icon, like, you know, icon appeal. UNLV still, like, means something in your mind, but it's just a shell of what it was. And maybe they'll get back to it, and I hope they do. Yeah. But uh, for now, for that game and one moment in time, not so much. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of that is true, you know? What, I mean, what you're saying. Vegas is so, you know, transient. You know, people sort of come and go. So I wonder how many people, you know, view UNLV and the program that way. UNLV is a big school. They actually graduate a lot of people. A lot of people grow up here, go to UNLV. They stay here in Vegas. They go into the gaming industry or otherwise. I was just talking to my um, my wife's sister's mother-in-law. You know, if you want to follow that. Larice? Basically, uh, yeah, Larice. Scott's, Scott's mom? Scott's mom. Okay. Scott grew up here, stayed here. He's a firefighter. And uh, she has a brother who settled here as well. He has five kids. I said, how many of the five are still in Vegas? All five. So six out of six from that family. And I don't know how many of them are basketball fans, but Las Vegas is transient, but it's also got like a strong local base of people it's getting more that way i think as it becomes more of a of a real city um but we'll we'll get into vegas more you know maybe in the future on our off-season podcast but suffice it to say the game the game was a blowout fun game to watch we had decent seats not the best but it's pretty decent seats pretty, pretty good seats. Pretty good seats in the lower section in the corner um any other observations yeah, from the game? I thought Jason Tatum played played great. Uh, watch, watching the game again on TV, I, I felt like he's just going to be a phenomenal rebounder. Like, you know, most most kids, when they're in the paint and their opponent shoots, um, like they they help off their man and, and they try to go for like a low percentage ooh and ah type of block mm-hmm. instead of getting in position and just boxing out their guy. I feel like Tatum just stays on his man, boxes him out. And he just makes sure to clean up the glass because he's so tall, so jumpy, has long arms, and I feel like his his rebounding is what really struck me when I saw the game again for him. In addition to, I think we're still just barely scratching the surface offensively for him. Like I, I feel like yeah. he may amaze us even more, you know, with whatever repertoire he has in terms of outside inside game. I mean, if we needed him to score twenty five a game. He- probably could you know but we, yeah. we don't really and so what we're getting is like it, he seems a little bit not selfless completely because he he has self-esteem on the court but he does seem very secure within himself and doesn't feel the need mm-hmm. to just you know be the center of attention in the game he's, he's contributing in all sorts of ways yeah it's pretty it's pretty but cool but I, I think that's mostly a function of, of the minutes that he plays I mean he is not shy about shooting I mean he he played 24 minutes which is about you know 10 minutes less than Luke and Grayson I mean Tatum shot 11 times which yeah. is you know he's, he's he, when he's in the game and he gets the ball he's looking to score uh, I think it's just a function of seeing the, seeing the court Great court awareness on both ends. Two blocks, two steals. Again, like defensive presence, that rebounding you mentioned. Just an all-around game. He, you know, another another tangent for Tatum. He might be our best free throw shooter. I mean, the guy's shooting like looks pure, right? Fifteen or sixteen from the line. Beautiful stroke. You know, 
obviously a pretty small sample size, but it seems like he could be, you know, these are things to think about, Coach K. You know, Elite Eight game, Final Four game, it could, could, could come down to like a technical free throw. Uh, Marquise Bolden uh, had a, you know, showed up. Showed up, uh, didn't get a lot of minutes, didn't get starters minutes, didn't play with the first unit that much. But when he got in there, he you know showed a couple nice post moves, who some you, strength. Who do you think is our big man's coach, Mike? Well, it's not Wojo anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Wojo was our big man coach for like at least five years. Uh, actually, let me let me take you back to the last podcast because uh, you you met you you said we we're gonna look up uh, where. Chris Carroll went. Yeah. Assistant coach, Marquette. He's he's on Wojo's staff. There you go. That makes some sense. Yeah. But uh, I, I bring that up. Did you want to take a guess? Or, I mean, there are only a few options. Go ahead. Name the assistants for me real quick because I know you're more on top of this. Than oh, me. stop. You know the assistants. All right. So it's Shire. It's Nate James. It's uh, Nolan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff Capel. Yeah. All right. Jeff Cable's not the big man coach because he's the executive assistant. So, yeah, I'm going to guess that it's... Uh... Nate James? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was watching the, the team warm up at, Nate had a post at, game at, 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 at halftime. Yeah. I mean, he was a big, burly, like a 6'5 guy. Uh, but I was watching the players warm up at halftime, and, and he was um, very specifically instructing... Marquise, like how to demand the ball on the block, how to catch it, how to pivot and turn. Um, it seemed like he was working with them. Um, and that always, that's always sort of fascinating to me. Like the Duke men's basketball program, which is elite, elite. Their the last two big men's coach have been Nate James and Steve Wojciechowski, which still, I just die laughing over. Um, and, and if you recall, like. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, you don't. Why do you have to be seven feet tall to to coach big men? Uh, you don't. I mean, how many great seven feet tall coaches are there? It seems like either you you make too much money in the NBA or you were kind of a clown show and you you really weren't that good at basketball. You know, I wonder if it's just it's hard to find a middle ground there. Yeah, like these you know basketball intelligence for big men. If you have it and you're that big. You, Perhaps you just become too successful at basketball to be an assistant on the college level often. Sometimes, I mean, right. sometimes people that are very successful still want to coach. I mean, you know, so I guess Jay Billis back in the day. Jay Billis would be awesome. Yeah. Um, Brian Zubak. How about Brian Zubak? Zub- yeah. I don't know if he like, exactly. loves basketball enough, but, but he, he also has like, varied interests. Let's say, you're a, let's say you're a highly prized recruit big man. I'm not sure Brian Zubak would be that you know, titillating for you in terms of, oh, this guy's going to teach me how to score down low, you know? Um, and I and I bring this up because... Uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar can't get a job in coaching and for years wanted to coach. And I think I mean, it's that, had to do with his personality, but yeah, like his Patrick IQ, Ewing his also had a hard time. Kinda. Like, Kareem's IQ is like 180 or something. He can't relate to people. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, we I think we, we went, Duke went through a stretch. Um, like, after Elton Brand and after Sheldon Williams, like, we could not land a big-time, big-man recruit. The Matty Christensen years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and there was a lot of talk about how, well, why would you go to Duke if you're a big man? Their big man's coach is Wojciechowski. 
and they never develop their guys. All they do is set screens. And it really wasn't until, like even when Mason was there, they're like, you know, again, why would we go there? All Mason does is set screens and, and plays defense and blocks. You know, like if you're a big man and you want to score, like Okafor was really the first guy to come to come in the maybe seven, eight years to do. Here's, here's the counterpoint to your argument. Mason Plumlee's development in terms of skill and game in the post was was pretty incredible and right like yes from, yeah, uh, yes I agree with you but and who, who was responsible Wojciechowski probably I don't know if Wojo was gone his last year I, I think Wojo was there the whole time uh, I don't know about that it was close yeah Must I don't know close. if that's true but if, if and if, Miles if, Plumlee too they took a guy who nobody thought was a real NBA prospect and he ends up being you know, but, but a you, guy who's going to play 10 years in the NBA. But I could counter-argue that those guys were going to make it to the NBA based on their sheer athleticism alone. Like most 6'10", 6'11 guys aren't that athletic. And Mason definitely made a big jump from his junior to senior year. But his first, his freshman, sophomore, maybe halfway through his junior year, you could make the argument that, wow, this guy's just not developing as a big guy. He what, had injury problems. What are these guys, are freshman, these guys doing? His freshman, sophomore year, is, I mean, remember he didn't play until, you know, yeah. 10, 15 games into his first year. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. But the the larger point I'm trying yeah. to make is even if you go back and look at that 2010 team, Lance Thomas and Brian Zubek, again, like, they had a vital role on the team. But if you're a highly prized big man recruit, like, looking at schools, like, you'd much rather go to, like, Kansas or Kentucky or wherever instead of going to Duke where... The guards where, gun up three-pointers. Yeah, yeah, where the reputation is you need to set screens and play defense and all the shooting is going to be done by these white guys shooting from outside the three-point line. I mean, that may have been the, the reputation for a while. I don't... I think... I think the talent dictated it. You know, it just happened to be that Zubek came in with a big reputation but wasn't ready for prime time. And again, another guy, you look at his development, his senior year... He was incredible, and he was held back by some injuries as well. But yeah, yeah but, he. But my point is that yes, but we just they did make incredible strides their senior year. But he didn't even look to shoot from five feet from the basket. He rebounded the ball and he kicked it out to Singler or Shire or Smith. Yeah, like he. I mean, I guess Lance Thomas might be the best example because now he's a three-point specialist in the NBA, and it didn't seem like he was allowed or encur- at least not encouraged to shoot from beyond. 12 feet, you know. Yeah, you could tell the senior 15, year he made a concerted effort to make to shoot that wide open 15 footer, 17 footer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could see how that would be the impression. Yeah, so that, that's why I'm pleasantly surprised that we got Okafor, that we got uh, Giles, that we're going to get Wendell Carter next year. Like, these are some big time, Bolden. you know, like these are all guys who are going to be like top five lottery picks who chose Duke. And, uh, and apparently it's Nate James who's who's coaching them. So yeah, and then it's, it's, it's interesting. It, it's funny because in the '80s and the early '90s, Duke was probably more well known for their for their center position. Allah Abdul Nabi. <laughs> Allah's not the first one I would have mentioned, but Danny Danny Ferry was Leitner, Danny Ferry Player of the Year. Yeah, even before then, Mike Jaminski, Cherokee Parks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just stud after stud after stud and anchors of the offense. And I think Coach K did, I don't, I don't know if he just couldn't pull the recruits after Boozer or, you know, if it just was some bad luck. Way. It just worked out that way. The guys that did come in weren't ready. I mean, Greg Newton was a huge recruit, right? Yeah. And, he, you know, he, he had a big role in the offense those last two seasons. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting. Nobody's Basically, 
nobody can touch touch our recruiting right now. I mean, Kentucky and us. So it's like it seems seems like, like how did that ever happen? And I, I mean, feel like Kentucky out recruits us. I feel like they systematically just clean the slate every year, and it, I I feel like it's amazing what he does. Like we like it's only the last couple of years we've. Really, can yeah, be but, last three yeah, years. with us, you sort of know we're gonna get like two, three, four super highly touted freshmen, but they're gonna work into some like there's there's a formation of a structure. There's there's an institutional thing going on. Calipari literally just clears the slate and says, "I'm gonna start four freshmen," and then Isaiah Bruce goes in also. And these the freshmen just are incredible. Like I this year, what about last year? What about the year before? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like to miss right. I mean, it's recruiting. It's, uh, these guys come these in guys with big reps. These guys are just so good. Yeah. And somehow Coach Cal gets them, get, gets them to play as a team, play good defense. Cal uh, Perry's a good, pretty good coach. I mean, yeah. a great recruiter, but a pretty good coach. I mean, I his UMass teams back in the day, so they weren't the uh, they're incredible. Um, you know, I thought, he, I thought he didn't do a great job at the tournament a couple of years ago. When they lost to Wisconsin, that's not that they didn't play well at all, but you know Uh, we're not in the locker room. We don't know. We don't know. But he seemed very flippant about the entire thing. Um, Yeah, he's like Like putting spin. Yeah, he's like like, politician. It's more about relations and getting to know these guys. But you know, Coach K said the same thing after tough losses in the in the tournament. Well, Um, at halftime, he was there was a halftime interview. One of the games that was close, not at the Final Four, I think, but maybe the Notre Dame game, maybe. Yeah, he's just like, "Hey, I'm Keith Hernandez," and he just had a smile, a grin on his face. Yeah, we didn't play that well. It'll be fine, you know. Well, I, I just felt like he yeah. wasn't. I, I felt like with that particular team, they just didn't play enough quality teams during the year. I feel like this team is, you know, playing UCLA, is playing UNC. We'll play Louisville soon. Like they're playing a lot of good teams. Did you watch any of that UNC Kentucky game? UNC Kentucky a, a a little a little bit and I have it recorded. I, I there's some chance I may watch more of it, but uh, they have some impressive players. Impressive. Malik players. Monk dropped 47. Darren Fox. Darren Fox looks like just great classic point guard with Le- high assist total. Like the Le- two of those Le- guys. Handed John Wall. I am, I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen enough to really get into it. But I keep hoping we need to watch more yeah, of them. I obviously. keep hoping that Malik Monk has like a you know. An eight for twenty-five shooting night, but every time I look, he scores. He shoots pretty efficiently. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the worst case for that guy is Lou Williams, who's pretty pretty good NBA player. It just seems like I haven't watched enough Lakers basketball. But he's he's clearly better. I mean, he's clearly yeah. I see that he scores a lot of points uh, every now and then. Sweet Lou. Uh, yeah, Malik Monk. Uh, there's a lot of teams salivating his tight. Team salvating over a lot of these guards in college basketball this year. We don't have anyone like that. We don't have a point guard that just seems like that transcendent, or a shooting guard like a like a young buck freshman. But uh, you know, Frank, Frank Jackson, Jackson, Frank Jackson, Frank Jackson's not getting the opportunity to be the alpha like those guys are. So he, may, he maybe doesn't, he doesn't you know, shoot that often. Yeah, it, it or maybe it's just random that that you know he hasn't put up a lot of shots, but. He hasn't been shooting much, even though he has been shooting efficiently. You know, maybe it's just because they're all put back, sick dunks. Yeah. So, um, 
one other thing that happened at the UNLV game is uh, sort of a topic that we we thought we'd uh, we'd sort of mention and, and you know bounce off of is that uh, at the game they were playing highlights of the 1991. Conveniently, UNLV was playing highlights of the 1991 championship game. Uh, even one of the trivia questions was how many you know how many points did they win by at the arena where they 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 trashed uh, they trashed Duke in 1991. Uh, and then obviously they didn't mention 91, 92 <laughs> at the game, but uh, and I, but I, I read or I heard that uh, Coach K played highlights or the game on the plane out to uh, to Vegas of the right. 91, 92 game to show the current crop of kids because I mean how can you assume anyone who's under 20 years old is familiar with it, right? They weren't alive at the time, right? Uh, and me and you were both in high school at the time. Right. For both of those games, uh, and I was a basketball fan. And I was watching. Yeah, I probably just read it in the newspaper. Yeah, and uh, back when you had to get your sports information from newspapers, sure, looking at box scores. I, I I have a vague memory of watching those games, but I wasn't identifying as a Duke fan then. I didn't know I was going to Duke. I didn't live anywhere near Duke. I was familiar with the team, and they were yeah. great. You know, they're both like very memorable games. I thought maybe we'd use this opportunity, since there's not a lot else going on, um, to talk about a couple of the more memorable games from our own, you know, fan experience, either when we were there or since. Um, those games are obviously super memorable, you know, for for Duke fans then. But since we don't relate as uh, thickly to it, I thought we could uh, get into it. You sure. up for that? Sure. All right. So why don't you start? Is there is there you know I I texted you earlier this morning, you know maybe we would do this. Mm-hmm. And it could be a win, it could be a loss. Yeah. Uh, just something that really sticks out in your mind is one a game you'll you'll never forget. Uh, I mean, when you texted me initially, I was I was thinking like, how could you not pick like Duke Butler, amazing game, or you know Duke Wisconsin, amazing game. But I feel like people already know it or like it's it's so close in memory and it's it's like the obvious pick so I'm going to go back a little bit further Um, I feel like uh, it was a series of games really early 2000s anytime Duke played Gary Williams Maryland teams I thought they were just going to be amazing games like when we had Jason Williams Mike Dunleavy and Carlos Boozer and Dante Jones and before that Shane Battier like we would go up against Steve Francis uh, Steve Blake. I'm uh, sorry, not Steve Francis. Steve Blake. Steve Blake. Lonnie Baxter. Uh, uh, who's who's the off guard? Was it Grievous Vasquez then? No, 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 no. Black kid. Real, real slight. Real slight. Uh, oh. Uh, Juan Dixon? Yeah, Juan yeah. Dixon was great. So it was Steve Blake. It was Steve Blake. Steve Blake, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, Chris Wilcox. And these games were legendary, like all of them. The regular season games, the ACC games. Like, those are the games that you remember Jason, Jason Williams with the nine-second deficit with, like, 50 seconds left? That, that was in Maryland. Yeah, that was, that was at Maryland. I think we were down 10, maybe. I think we were down 10 nine, in that nine game or with, ten like with two literally, minutes left. Literally, fifth, yeah, one, one minute left. Maybe two. I don't. I don't remember for sure. But that was that was part of it. And I remember when when 
Duke played Maryland in the Final Four game of 2001. We got down by 22 points and made an unbelievable comeback. I mean, people, Final Four teams just don't come back. Yeah, and Terrence Morris also. Uh, but not not only those two games. But we had literally all those games were amazing. Like just a regular season game at Maryland or at Duke was an amazing game. Steve Blake tore us up. Lonnie Baxter tore us up. Yeah. You know, in tough, scratches. Tough cover. Yeah. Tough, tough cover. I remember all those games being pretty amazing. The one you mentioned where we came back from down 10. I mean, we Man played. Left. We got outplayed the whole game. And I think we were down 10 with maybe close to two minutes left or about two minutes. I feel like we were down nine with like 55 seconds left. That might be right. Uh,. Yeah, just, incredible. Just steals and three-point shots, and they, they were turning the ball over, and they were missing free throws. And Jay, Jason Williams, who had a terrible game up to that point, just hit every single three. Yeah, he went off. <laughs> yeah. Totally went off. Uh, that game, I wouldn't say that was one of the all-time great games because we really didn't so play fun. that well a lot of the game. And then yeah. it's, it's almost, it was just thievery. <laughs> and it was like that's how good that team was that they yeah, could just okay. do that. But but the other game yeah. that at the final four when yeah. we played them, which but, which but basically you, ended the rivalry. But do you we're think down, that, that 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 the first game planted seeds of doubt in Maryland's mind? Like we just can't beat this team. You know, like how in sports rivalry sometimes that happens where like one team just assumes that they can't beat the other team. I feel like well, we were the better team. We had the better talent. Maryland won the national title the year after we won. Like, that was... I, that was I, a great I Maryland I wouldn't team. necessarily say that... I mean, I, I feel like we had maybe a, a slight to moderate talent edge, but, like, their team was, was great in the same way that, like, the Wisconsin team was great two years ago. They had Incredible those players there. They had a senior backcourt. Like, all the pieces were in place, you know? Yeah, it's great, true. Great coach, fiery coach. I mean, I, I love Gary Williams, you know, he... Had no neck, and he he would always drench his suit. He would always take the suit jacket off, and you could see he was just a puddle of sweat. Gary Williams did the most with did more with less talent than Coach K was doing at the same time. Like, but but it was sort of like, you know, if you're the underdog, you can always seem like the better coach, and if you're always the favorite, because you know you can you can any win just counts for you, and the losses don't really count because people like me say. Ah, oh, we were more talented. But they were talented. But while they were talented, none of those guys really became a star in the NBA. You Steve know, Blake lasted a long time. Steve Blake had a nice little career. Ronnie yeah. Baxter had a cup of coffee. Chris, Won- Wil- Chris Wilcox uh, probably played six, seven years as a... Total bust. As a, as, you know, <laughs> a role guy off the bench. They were all bust. Terrence Morris never did anything. And it... It shows you it shows you how great of a like team they were essentially because yeah as a team yeah. they were super effective. I think we've spoken about how you know NBA talent or NBA career productivity doesn't necessarily translate to the college game. Right. You know, college but might it, be more about. But if you look at the guys the that were starring are, for us that year, you know, two thousand one for example, I mean these are these are guys that not only had great college careers, Jason. Williams obviously never had the chance, but yeah. but Dunleavy's career is better than any of those guys. Boozer's career is better than any of those guys, even right. though Boozer trailed off. Even you know Batty, you know Batty's career, like you know, 
Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But yeah, those, those two games, that's a good example. I mean, I just remember being so down in that Final Four, being down by, well, if we were down by 20. 22, I think. With like five minutes to go in the first half. Yeah, late in the first half, we're down 22. We ended up cutting it down to like single digits. I think we cut it down to 11 at halftime. I mean, okay. you know, Everyone listening is going to look this things up and realize we're off on our memories. We're not like you know we're not looking at the box scores, but uh, and then we end up winning the game by double digits. It was just incredible. Yeah, I, I just remember you know the reason I bring it up is because either at the halftime interview or in the post game interview, you know Gary Williams made a comment about how like no one's better than no one's better than being down twenty two points than Duke. You know <laughs> some type of smart def- like a defeated comment. You know, which is which is why I think that maybe that that Jason Williams comeback in Maryland like planted that seed that, that seed of doubt in Maryland. Yeah, I remember as a fan feeling back then we could do anything. You know, I we felt, could just I felt turn like that, it on. I felt like that with Jason Williams. Jason that Williams. guy was so electric. He was Superman. Um, for for people who didn't see him play, his uh, I can't remember if it was the title title run year of '01 or maybe it was '02. We had like a Sweet 16 or, or an Elite 8 game against USC. He scored like 23 straight points. Like he literally brought the ball up and scored. Whether it was a three or if he took it to the basket, he was so athletic. And I wouldn't say he had like a beautiful looking stroke, but like he had a very good shot. He got elevation on his three. And uh, I felt like with him on the court, I felt like we could do anything. And you put him with Battier. And Dunleavy and Boozer. He's the guy. He's like, wow. He's the guy who's almost Russell Westbrook. Jason Williams? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, almost. See, I can see that. Not quite as yeah. big, better three-point shot. Oh, but, I, mean, I mean, it wasn't even close. And just slightly less athletic. And, you know, he only had one year in the league. And it wasn't that... It wasn't you know, very good. wasn't that amazing. Yeah. But, but I mean, there's, there's a period of adjustment. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll never know. And it's uh, you know, it still pains me a little bit to see him on TV with wearing the suit. You know. Oh, as an analyst. <clears throat> yeah. Well, oh, he's also he's... not the greatest analyst. Well, he, <laughs> but, it, but yeah. do you remember how awful he was beginning? He's so much better he now. Was, he was just a stuttering guy. He would, he was, he was awful. Yeah. Like, I was like, I felt. He was as bad was, as we are. Yeah. <laughs> it was painful listening to him. I felt bad for him, but he has actually gotten a lot better and he's sort of like you know it's weird for these guys they have to work their personality and their charisma into it and I feel like he's done that very well like he's got that nice rapport with Seth Greenberg they play off each other sometimes a little bit too much their personalities but I feel like he's an asset to to ESPN college college basketball he'll never stop being a tragic figure in my mind yeah but also at the same time never had more confidence in any player wearing a Duke uniform like if you were down in a game, yeah, you know, you know, Batty is probably more except, valuable, but except, yeah. except, except down four against Indiana, gets fouled, hits the three. That was his Achilles heel. Misses the free throw, yeah. and, and otherwise, I think we win. I think we might win the you know two straight national championships. Well, Boozer got the rebound and then went up, and this guy is he's somebody who was shooting seventy percent from the floor at the time. Uh, got hacked a decent amount. Wasn't called, but yeah, you know those those are just how things go. Like officiating, like these aren't full time officials. Like college basketball refs are bad. We didn't deserve to win that game, anyways. You know what? We just didn't. 
Yeah. Well, um, we spent a lot of time on Maryland. How, how, what are your picks? Uh, the number one game that will never be topped in my mind. Best sporting can event. I, can I guess it? Sure. Was it... Uh, Didn't I tell you already? Well, you told me the, the, the team... Yeah, I told you it was I'm a Duke pretty, UNC game. I'm pretty game. sure you're, you're going to go 94, but I think there's an outside chance it's that Chris Duhon dribbles up the length of the court, makes a crazy reverse layup to win against UNC. I think it was 2003. Well, it's definitely not that game. Okay. It is It is the 94. Well, it's really, it happened in 95. Oh, you're, specific, you're going specific game. Okay. Yeah, one game that defined my freshman year and your freshman year. Mine not so much. Probably more yours. Yeah, I mean, I went to every game, die hard, face paint. I had gone to football games that year, you know, <laughs> with, with like face paint on. I, I, nothing else mattered to me, and we kept losing every game by like just In the smallest fashion. of margin. Agonizing. agonizing fashion. Yeah, overtime against UVA, at the buzzer against Maryland, Joe Smith on a putback. Yeah. You know, at home. These are home games. Yeah. Home games. We camped out for. Days, weeks, for the you know terrible season. We got UNC coming in. I know we finished two and fourteen. I'm not sure where we were in the ACC. Yeah, I'm not sure where we were at that moment. Probably like two and twelve. Um, and they come in with Rashid Wallace, Jerry Stackhouse, just loaded. Dante Calabria. Who's your point guard? Do they have like a? They didn't have Ed Cota, right? Do they have? A... Nah. They had uh, Serge Wicker at center. I'll never forget. Well, he he gave us the opportunity. <laughs> they had um, Adamala Okalaja. Yeah. His name. Yeah, they. But it was mostly Stackhouse and Wallace, and uh, just overpowering. Stackhouse and Wallace, and they had a couple great shooters. One of which was Calabria. One of which was um, was another guard that I'm blanking on, who never missed a shot against us. You know, always shot mid-range jumpers. Not Shimon Williams. No, not Shimon Williams. He was a pretty good player, too. But anyhow, it's like a knockdown, drag-out game the whole way. They pull away at the end. Jerry Stackhouse had the sickest dunk I've ever Amazing seen in person. Dunk, yeah. yeah, and Rashid Wallace, just he was like a god. They had gods in their team, and we had... Tony Moore and Kenny Blakeney and <laughs> Eric Meek and like you know Eric Meek, Ricky Price, Trajan Langdon. Yeah, just, no, we just had some tri- players. Trial by fire, Steve Wojciechowski. We had the Chief. We had Cherokee yeah. Parks. Cherokee Parks had a really good game. Yeah, uh, Trajan hit some shots. We we were hanging in the whole time, but they just were too much for us. Tra- and Trajan were... always seemed to get up for the UNC games. I mean, he like I feel like he and John Shire always seemed to put up thirty on UNC. Yeah, I don't think Trajan put up 30 too many times in his career, but a few times. Yeah. So we're down eight. We're down eight with another comeback. We're down eight with 30-something seconds on the clock. And uh, I don't remember the entire sequence, but I do remember that they missed some free throws. We hit some shots. uh, And it wound up being down three with Serge Wicker on the line to shoot two. Right. That I remember. With about... Four seconds left. Four, five, six seconds left. Maybe three. <laughs> and just sweating, drenched. The building is it's the hottest it's ever been. The game doesn't really mean anything in terms of like us making the tournament. We're not making the tournament. But it's like the entire season can be salvaged 
if we can just come back and like send this to overtime. And uh, Zwicker misses both shots. Right. The rebound. I don't know if Capel grabbed the rebound or someone grabbed the rebound, and you know Parks or Meek and threw it to Capel. Just this Capel launches a shot from about half court on the run. I feel like that has been exaggerated. I feel a little like, past half court. I, I feel like that has been mythologized. Uh, no, it was like pretty close to half court. Everyone but claims it was half court. Basically, I, on on the on I the dead run. Was. I don't think it was. <laughs> Maybe he picked up his dribble. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. As he releases the shot, everyone in the student section, or at least anyone near me, gets knocked over by the anticipation, by like the heartbreak that there's no chance of shots going in, <laughs> or the like, small hope that it is. I actually get. I'm a big guy. I get knocked over. All of my fraternity brothers near me, we all get knocked over. And I'm watching the flight of the ball as I'm falling. And, you know, nothing but net. Place just becomes a deafening pitch, a roar. It's crazy. Just the craziest moment. Everyone gets up. People are, like, almost in tears. It was just incredible. We lost in double overtime. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, overtime was incredible. It's just, you know, we end up losing. It's, so it's, it's, fit, it's fitting that we lost that game. It's and fitting, yeah. It's, I mean, that, that was perfect your experience. You've, you've told our audience that I was not a very big Duke fan back then. I, I watched, I watched. Well, you were into it. You just, you yeah, were academic-minded. I, I, yeah, you were I was an Asian good, guy, you know. At the time, I was a pretty good student. Um, I was in the Pegram uh, Commons along with uh, a bunch of other, you know, Pegram people. And after that shot, we were all just jumping up and down, screaming, like hugging people people you don't even know just because it was such a pretty big moment you know it just just started the Duke UNC rivalry for, for us yeah and, and and for anyone that would accuse Duke of being wine and cheese crowd like you like you know we think of UNC or we used to at least yeah, I'm it, glad we don't have to say it like Roy Williams says it you know like Roy Williams is always you sure. know crapping on his on his audience or 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 any, you know, any, we're spoiled now, lately. And, you know, obviously a huge run of success with very little sort of, you know, downtime. But for me as a freshman, for you as a freshman, that was a heartbreaking year. And, like, the experience of it made me a diehard fan in a way that just sort of easy success wouldn't have. And, you know, that that's still my favorite game. It'll always be my favorite game. That's your favorite game. That's it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was the best game I ever went to. It's the best sporting event I've ever seen in person. And, you know, I saw every home game from seven years. There was nothing like it. It was the level of play, you know, just everything involved. And Coach K wasn't there. Yeah. 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 So. uh, All right. I feel like, you know, in terms of memorable losses, I feel like UConn has really gotten us good a couple times. Like, I feel like that 99 team that lost to UConn in the finals, that was such a heartbreaker. Like, you know, to be to be in the discussion as one of the best teams of all time, like you have to win the national title. I felt like that team could definitely be in that discussion, but because they didn't win the national title, they're disqualified. And so in, in that sense, that's that was a painful loss. And then five years later... Uh, J.J. Redick uh, drove. We were down one, maybe one point, one or two points. Looked like he got fouled pretty hard. 
um, by either was it Rip Hamilton, Khalid Alamine in, in 04. Um, but that, that was a pretty painful, painful loss too. I feel like those those are two games that sort of stand out. In terms of I think Rip, Rip Hamilton and Khalid Alamine were, were 99. Were 99. Yeah. That was a Mecca Okafor. Okafor was like Jake Voskel. <laughs> a Mecca no. Okafor. Okafor, Ricky yeah. Moore. So, uh, no, not Ricky Moore. Yeah, not Ricky but Moore. Yeah. Pretty, pretty painful losses. Uh, yeah, the UConn games, just feeling like we were totally outcoached and then outplayed. Were tough yeah. ones. Yeah, I don't know why, why. Why are we talking about all the memorable losses? Because I, I feel like those stick out more. Like the, yeah. the Indiana loss in the Sweet Sixteen with the two thousand and two Jay Jay Williams team. Like I felt like that team was better than the O one team that won the national title. Even though we lost Shane Battier, we picked up Dante Jones and Daniel Ewing. Yeah. Well, see what we lost with Battier. I think was pure work ethic. Yeah, and but preparation. The, those and three guys got so much better. They were junior. They're like yeah. significantly better. They were, but they also were more arrogant, probably. Yeah, and that, so, that was a big. That was a big thing that the Indiana coach said that Mike Dunleavy in a in a pre-game interview was like, "What time do we play on Saturday or Sunday?" Like assuming that they would beat Indiana, and he relayed that to his team. I think was it Kelvin Sampson? Like he, huh? he What it wasn't Kelvin Sampson, the head coach of Indiana at the time. Oh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, whoever it was, he he mentioned that Mike, Mike Dunleavy had just, Mike, uh, had just assumed that they were going to win. And Mike Davis. Yeah, is maybe. It? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I felt like that team was. Those are the losses that get me. The losses that come to teams that could be all-time great teams. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, the other big loss, and you know, super painful for me. I'm sure you was our senior year, because again, it's defined. This defines our experience. Kentucky. Yeah, freshman year, we 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 don't make any tournament, no postseason play. The only year of the last thirty odd years that's happened. Uh, sophomore year, I think we go eighteen and thirteen. Yep. Um, eight seed. Eight seed, losing the first round to Eastern Michigan. To Eastern Michigan and Earl Boykin, junior year. We're actually like a relatively high seed, um, led by Rashawn McLeod. Um, and uh, is that true? No, I don't think that's true. Minus oh, led by Chris Collins, I guess. No, Chris Collins was the previous year. Chris Collins was eighteen and thirteen year. He, he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, He led the team when Trajan was hurt his sophomore year. Yeah. Well. Okay. But I mean, whoever led the team. Yeah, maybe you're, Trajan. You're, you're saying it was like a top two or three team? No, no. We were no. we were like a three or four seed. seed. We lost to Providence. We lost to God, God Chem God and Austin Crusher. And I they, watched that game live in Charlotte. I think it was Charlotte or Greensboro. Yeah. And uh, They both played out of their minds. They played out of their minds. <laughs> One of them hit like a half-court shot in my memories, like in the first half. And like right before the half ended. <clears throat> and it was just brutal. We just We just lost that game. Yeah. We weren't that good. Yeah, but and I, then I, senior I, I, year, yeah. we are that good. Right. Wojo somehow. But we had all the incoming freshmen. This was one of the most touted freshman classes in in recent history. That was, yeah. That was a freshman year of Elton Brand and Shane Batty and Chris Burgess and Will Avery. All those guys. That was our senior year. They were freshmen. Yeah, and we had yeah. we had Trajan. We had. 
we must have had Rashad McLeod. I think we had McLeod those two years. Because okay. McLeod wasn't on the 99 team. And we had we had him for two years. He transferred right, from right, Rutgers. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there. I th- yeah, I think he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, McLeod finished. I remember he graduated when we graduated. McLeod and Trajan, two of the silkiest, silkiest jumpers. Uh, they never missed. But somehow we lost games. But uh, anyhow, we, we get to the Elite Eight. We play Kentucky. And we're up. We talked about this on another pod, pod, but we're up, I think, you know, 17. 16, 17 points. With, with like 11, 11 minutes left. Yeah, and Wojo, Wojo had an incredible senior year. just kind of gets broken down over and over again by Wayne Turner. But it, it must have been more than that. It's all I can remember. I was in a, uh, I was driving up from a spring break vacation with my girlfriend and uh, stopped in Myrtle Beach to watch the game. Got a ticket right before getting there for speeding because I really wanted to get to you know I had a plan my plan was to go to was that a bad sign did you think that it was a bad sign yes it was definitely an omen and And wherever we went to watch the game went to some big place BW3's type place and as luck would have it there was a cheerleading competition in Myrtle Beach that very weekend and we were we were met with a gaggle of seven to eleven-year-old girls in cheerleading regalia, full, full uniform, wearing Kentucky Wildcats uniforms, if memory serves, doing Kentucky cheers. And we, Duke, shut them up. <laughs> we shut up these old seven to eleven-year-old girls the whole game. Like in the first half, where it was like a beautiful thing. I was. Enjoying it, kind of, in a sick way. The cheerleaders way. were from Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a cheerleading okay. team from Kentucky. Okay. And they were they were ready to cry, and go home, you know. Yeah. And then they started the comeback, and each basket they cheered, <laughs> and started doing chants. It was the most painful loss, man. It was brutal. I mean. And then I had to drive all the way from Myrtle Beach back to Durham with my, you know, my girlfriend, and just it was just misery. She probably didn't care as much as me. I mean, that's the beauty of college basketball. I mean, not to get corny, but I mean, the passion is so there. Just the connectedness you have to the university is there. Like yeah, the fandom the is there. Like people care so much more about. I feel college basketball than like NBA. Like no one cares individual sports. Yeah, yeah. No, it's that. That I mean, I love the marching bands, and the cheerleaders, and God bless them. I guess I kind of. I don't really love Dick Vitale anymore, but I used to. I used to love him. But uh, the whole thing, the whole thing. Uh, yeah, th- those are the games that stand out. You know, those are the emotional touchstones of my Duke fandom. Uh, and then the victories too, right? Uh, more more than our share, I think. Yeah, we'll get in. We'll get into the, some of the championship game victories, some of the Final Four victories. You brought up the Maryland wins; those are still sweet. You know, yeah. Fuck, fuck those guys. <laughs> Um, yeah so we got a couple more games coming up yeah hopefully we see Harry Giles Um, it's Sunday night we got a game tomorrow maybe maybe Giles will play tomorrow afternoon I think there's a decent East Tennessee State tomorrow I think there's a pretty good chance he plays was it East Tennessee State if it's not East Tennessee State, is it? It's a school comparable to East Tennessee State oh just Tennessee State looks like they're 8-2 haven't Um, done any research on them just, just stop it's going to be embarrassing. Hey, I mean, I'd rather play lower echelon teams that have winning records. 
So we got that game, and then um, Elon. Elon. Got Elon for a classic winner, you know, for holiday. Some, for some reason, it's in Greensboro. Oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much... So, I mean, I'm, we should talk I'm after obviously that. obviously very interested to see how Giles does, but also, like, it's just another jigsaw piece that I, I want to see how it all sort of fits in. Like, you, I feel like, what, like, should Kennard come off the bench? You know, like, what's going to happen? You know, like... I think we should start Delarier. We should, we should Matt start Delarier. Can't, can't make a bucket, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's, so, let's just start Delarier, Jack White... Marcus Bolden, Jason Tatum, and, has some moves. and Giles, and then we'll bring in the veterans off the bench. Yeah. We'll just do that from now on. <laughs> so, yeah, this this week will be uh, a good warm-up for uh, Harry Giles before the ACC season starts December 31st on Saturday. Yeah, I hope we see should him. Be, should be good. I hope we see him. we got two quickies. Maybe we'll do a pod. <clears throat> we should try to do a pod in between if you're going to be in town. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe we can the have ACC, a guest when the ACC season starts. We'll try to do one every Monday after the conclusion of the weekend games. Yes. So uh, thanks for everyone who's listening. I know there aren't you know millions of you, but uh, we appreciate. We we're seeing the download numbers go up. Uh, Happy to see it. It's cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, I didn't know really how to look it up uh, at first, and we were sort of in the dark about it. We told a few friends about it, but not everybody because it might be embarrassing in case we, we, we totally stank at this and maybe we do, but we don't care anymore. Yep. We've, <laughs> we've passed the point. And we did, I did look it up and we saw it's, it, you know, Hey, it's more than a couple it's, dozen people. Certainly more than what I thought <laughs> it would be. So that's pretty cool. If you guys have uh, email, have questions, comments, yeah. feedback, if we get some good emails, if we ever do, uh, We'll be. We would love we'll be, to address. We would love to read them. Uh, yeah, read them on the pod and uh, respond to questions and criticisms. You want to call us out on our bullshit opinions, Pete? Uh, overanalyzing handshake lines. Feel free. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, well, that was fun. Uh, season's going well. This is still fun to do, and we'll keep uh, keep coming back. Go, Harry Giles. All right, go Duke. And go Duke. Um, bum, 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 bum.